So I'm going to open us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for each person that's here. We're thankful, Lord, that we could uh, celebrate uh, mothers today. We're thankful, Lord, for the mothers that you've blessed us with. We're thankful, Lord, for uh, the, the mothers that are here and the ones that are actively mothering or grandmothering, uh, whatever their role is right now in life and how they're meeting the needs of their family. We just pray and encourage them and uh, comfort them and help them and give them strength. So we're thankful uh, for this time. We're thankful for the time that we can come and study your word. We just pray that as we continue to look in, in Acts and how your early church was formed, we pray that we're inspired and encouraged uh, to go and do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we're in Acts 17 in which Paul preached at the Oropagus in Athens. The response to the gospel, if you remember, it was varied. Some mocked him. Uh, some said they would hear more and some believed. Apparently at this point in Athens, no church was actually started. And uh, today we actually pick up in chapter 18 with Paul leaving Athens, heading to Corinth. Now, many of you might recognize Corinth because later on, Paul will write two letters to the church in Corinth, in Corinth remember, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And uh, just a few facts about Corinth. It was a modern-day city known for diversity. Actually, many of the cities in that day weren't known for their diversity. They weren't actually very diverse. Okay, so it was a trade city, so many of the people passed through, and unfortunately, it was also a very immoral city. So basically, if you remember when way back when, when we studied through 1 Corinthians, remember we called it shaking my head, SMA, shaking my head, because Paul was basically shaking his head every time he looked at the Corinthian church. They were very immoral, and uh, he addressed them for their immorality. And one of the notable places in Corinth, and one of the things that they were known for, was the Temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And basically, the way they worshipped the goddess of love was through sexual immorality. So this was Corinth, okay? So this was where Paul was going to share the gospel message. So we're going to pick up Paul arriving in Corinth, and it says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a, a Jew named Aquila and a, a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was on the same trade, he, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So now Paul arrives in Corinth, and basically he ends up connecting with this couple, Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla. And uh, they were believing Jews. They were Jesus-believing Jews. And uh, they were run out of Rome by Claudius. Claudius did this because he saw these new Christians as a problem. So Paul had much in common with this couple. They both trusted in Jesus. Both were displaced because of their faith in Jesus and, and because of persecution. And both were actually tent makers by trade. Now, Paul did not want to financially burden, put any financial burden on the other churches that he had already planted. So it, basically what happens is you need money to live, right? So Paul basically joined in and started do, going and, uh, and tent making, doing a secular trade, so to speak. So and here's what he was doing as he was working during the week 
Then during the weekends, he used this. And he reasoned in, excuse me, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. So now, basically, there comes some encouragement. So Paul, basically, if you can imagine, he was tent-making during the week. On the Sabbath, he would go and minister, and he would do this every week. That's basically was his grind, so to speak. Then Timothy and Silas arrived. They actually had some encouragement. Because if you fast forward to 2 Corinthians eleven nine, 9, Paul tells us, he says this. He says, and when I was with you, and when I was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came, talking about Timothy and Silas, from Macedonia, supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So basically what happens here now is Paul is doing this trade. He's ministering. Timothy and Silas come. They have a gift. Okay, they have financial. So basically, Paul is like almost acting like a missionary at this point. So now he was occupied with the word. So that freed Paul up to actually use his gift on a daily basis. So basically, what's going on here now is it reminds us that God calls some people to vocational ministry. Okay, God calls some people to vocational ministry, meaning Christian workers, pastors, missionaries, parachurch staff members paid as full-time or part-time to actually do the work of the ministry. This is a biblical concept, okay? This is something that we find in the scriptures. Some people are gifted and passionate and should be in vocational ministry. It's also biblical that each believer that works in a secular career should also be involved in ministry as well. So you can't sit there and be like, okay, Pastor Mike, that's your job. Edward, you're down in, in, uh, in, in Central America. That's your job. I don't have to do anything. I'm just your cash cow, okay? That's not the way it works, okay? The way it works is we still, in secular careers, still do ministry. You're doing ministry in various ways. You're doing ministry as you work because you're conversing with people, you're talking with people, you're meeting their needs. So you're ministering to your family. But also the way the church functions and runs is through volunteers that serve the Lord. Each week when you guys come here, you're blessed with different people up here serving in the worship band, right? Not one of them gets paid, okay? They do this out of their service to the Lord. Downstairs, especially in the 1030, when we have all the kids and all the Sunday school teachers, right? They're down there, and you're dropping the kids off, and you're looking in the room, you're like, God, it's not me, and you run upstairs, okay? <laughs> They're not getting paid, okay? They're not getting paid. They're all volunteers, and that's biblical. That's the way churches run, right? That's the way churches run. But obviously, we would never expect someone who has a secular career to spend 40 to 50 hours working in the church, right? Because you just don't have that time. There's only so much time in the week. And like Paul did his tent making. Why? 
because he needed money, okay? You need money to survive. You know, it's like when, when you talk to people about their job and they're like, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, you need those dang green pieces of paper, right? You need to go to work. Some of you are sitting here now, you're like, enjoy, okay, I'm gonna enjoy this day, it's Mother's Day, I'm gonna hang out, I'm gonna enjoy, and then guess what? What happens tomorrow? Yep, you know what happens, unless you're happily retired, right? Um, so here's the thing. They volunteer, or you volunteer time, so that the work of the Lord gets done. We're going to see that later with this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They work a secular job, and they minister to people. All believers are called to serve. Time is obviously more limited to people that are not in vocational ministry, but all believers are called to serve. And I, I'd want to say an encouragement to this church, we have a lot of good, solid servants. And that really is why this church is what it is. Because there is no way that one or two or three staff members could ever do what this church is doing right now. So we're thankful for that because guess what? It's the work of the Lord. It's not our work, it's his work. So Paul was teaching the word to the Jewish people in Corinth, and here is what happens. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So here, we have a frustrated and discouraged Paul. It's really the first time we see this. Hey, this guy's been through a lot so far in Acts, right? It's really the first time we see this. He, says, he shook his garments out, and he says, blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So the blood statement, this is actually a reference to Ezekiel 33, in which the Lord said that if the watchman doesn't warn the people, their blood is on his hands, okay? So basically they're saying, if you're a watchman and you don't warn the people, like, you're responsible for what happens to them. Now, we are not responsible for how people respond to the message. You realize that, right? We are not responsible for how people respond to the message. God does call us, though, to be messengers. God calls every one of us to be messengers. So Paul said this for effect, really. Paul said this for effect because he was telling the Jewish people, I am of Jewish descent, just like you guys, and I want to watch out for my fellow Jew. I mean, realistically, when you think about it, if you are a believer in Christ, and you have people that you're rubbing shoulders with on a daily basis, and you've never shared anything about Jesus with them, like, what are you really saying? What are you really saying? If you've never shared, and I don't want to guilt anybody into sharing the gospel with people, but here's the thing. If you're shoulder to shoulder with people, if you work with people, if you're in their family, if you're friends with them, if you are around them on a daily basis, and you never even open your mouth and talk about your faith at all, what are you really saying? So Paul was telling them the gospel. We are all sinners in need of a savior. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life. And Paul's like, I'm going to be faithful and carry that message. We as believers should be faithful and carry that message. So now we see Paul here at a point of frustration. 
I'm going to the Gentiles. And we, knew he, we know he went to the Gentiles in the past. We've been studying Acts. Like we're 18 chapters in. He's went to the Gentiles in the past. But saying this was very controversial to the religious Jewish people. But I want to stop here for a minute and address this issue of frustration in ministry. I talked about how we're all called serve, but right, sometimes when you serve, I know this has happened to some of you, it gets frustrating. These people just don't listen. They don't do what they're supposed to do. Okay, I'm ministering, I'm doing this. I'm running a Bible study, and you know, the first week I do the Bible study, 30 people come, and then by the 15th week, five people come, and then people, the people that do come go, where is everybody? Like, listen, okay, here's the thing. That could be very discouraging for somebody who feels led to lead a Bible study. So how do we deal with discouragement? Because let me just tell you, there's discouragement in any type of ministry that you're going to do. Here's how you deal with it. I'm going to tell you the secret of how you deal with it, okay? Here's how you deal with it. Don't base what you do for the Lord on results. Base it on your obedience to what he calls you to do, okay? Base it on what he calls you to do, because sometimes you will spin your wheels and you're thinking, Lord, what am I doing? Lord, what am I doing? Lord, what am I doing? And sure, you want to evaluate. You always want to evaluate everything you do. But maybe doors close, trials and tribulations happening, frustration and things actually is being used in your life to grow and mature you in your faith and create a person in you, really, that God desires to create. Okay? So basically, don't base it on results. Base it on what you feel that God is calling you to do or how you feel God is calling you to serve. Now, I will, I will say this. Moms, you understand this, right? Okay? I do everything right with my kid. This kid is not listening to me. You, you got one of those at home? Maybe you got three, okay? So here's the thing. You might get discouraged. You might get discouraged. And for all you moms out there, the dads feel the same way. We just go into the garage, okay, <laughs> instead of dealing with it. So here's the thing. If you know you're doing the right thing, just keep doing it. Keep doing it. If you know you're doing the right thing, keep doing it. Because when you train up those children in the way that they should go, right? I think there's a proverb about this, okay? They're not going to depart from it. You're setting the foundation. You're doing what's right. You can't look at the Lord and say, I'm trying to do what's right and it's not working, so I'm just going to do what's wrong. Because all the other parents are doing the wrong thing. Don't look at it like that. So after Paul said this, let's look what happens. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man, Tychicus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So just on the heels of Paul going like, I'm so frustrated, he goes next door, and then the ruler of the synagogue actually believes. Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue, and he and his family believed, and many others in Corinth actually believed as well. This was very encouraging for Paul. He's with some believing Jews now, but evidently, Paul st still needed some encouragement. 
Okay, evidently Paul still needed some encouragement, and this is where God kind of gives him a little bit more, and let's see what happens. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So now the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Well, why did the Lord do this? Remember, again, Paul couldn't do what we can do, right? Open up the New Testament, okay? He was living the New Testament. So Paul couldn't be like, oh, I need some words of encouragement. I'm going to search the New Testament. He could search the Old Testament, but here's the thing. God shows up. God shows up and basically says, hey, listen, here's a promise you. Here's what I want you to know, Paul. Here's some words of encouragement. I know when you're going out and doing this, this can be frustrating. I know you were beaten up in previous cities. I know that you might be at the end of your chain to basically say, you know what? Am I really going to keep doing this? Am I really going to keep doing this? So does God do this today for us? I believe that God can give us a sense of peace. But we do have the New Testament to look at for encouragement, okay? You, you always have to watch out for any time somebody comes up to you and says, the Lord told me to do this, the Lord told me to do that. You, you got to take that and say, okay, you know what? I'm not really sure what's going on here, but I got to test it by the scriptures, right? But basically, this is a promise to Paul, and, and this is what he says. So don't be afraid. Paul went through a lot at this point. He said, don't be afraid. I know you went through a lot. I can imagine he feared what life was going to be like. Do I travel from city to city and get beat down and beat down and beat down and put in jail? Do I keep doing this? So he says, don't be afraid. Then he says, go on speaking. Remember, Paul, you have a message of life. Okay, don't turn your back on these Jewish people. You have the message of life. Keep on speaking. Don't back down. Then he says, I am with you. I am with you. That's a promise that we all have from the Lord, right? Remember, Paul, you don't have to do this alone. I know your strength is waning. I know you probably don't feel like doing this. But remember, I am with you. But this is where it gets even more personal for, for Paul. No one will attack or harm you. Okay, this one must have felt good. Because, right? Because <laughs> he was used to being beaten down. But Jesus is telling him, it's not going to go down like this in Corinth. Okay, that's what he's telling him right here. Personal. It's not going to go down like this. Then he says, I have many people here. I have many people here. Seems like from this statement, there were either many believers already or there were many people that obviously were predestined to believe. Like Paul was going to talk to him. There was going to be a, a big group of people that believe. So basically, what's, going, what's happening here is the Lord is kind of saying, there's people here. They're going to protect you. And we're going to see that in a minute or two. So Paul stayed a year and a half. But remember, some make the mistake of taking verses like these and try to apply them to themselves, right? Oh, God said no one would harm me because he said it there to Paul, right? Nobody in the city is going to harm you. Then you go into the city and you get a beat down. You're like, Lord, what happened? Well, that was Paul's promise, okay? That's what happened, okay? That's what happened, okay? This is very specific. So let's see what happens. 
But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. So now we see that some come up against Paul. So now, okay, what's going on, Lord? Some are coming up against. Wait, didn't you say that I wouldn't be harmed? So they brought him to the court, the tribunal, in front of the governor with an accusation that he's breaking their religious laws. So let's see what happens. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about your words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be the judge of these things. So now God uses this man, Gallio, the non-believer who was the governor, to do what? Protect Paul. I have many people here, okay? I have many people here. He is basically saying, Paul's not breaking the law of the land, and I'm not bound to your religious laws. So the Jewish people were trying to take him up on their religious laws. You know, sometimes in life, God will actually use non-believers to defend believers. Have you ever had that happen? This reminds me that God is in control and intervenes in the affairs of man as he chooses, okay? God will use unbelieving authorities sometimes to actually protect the believers and actually further the word in going out. But the question is most people have at this point, why doesn't God always do something like this? Okay, we see it, Paul has a pretty rough past. Why didn't God always do something like this. When Paul was beaten and left for dead a few chapters, why doesn't God always do something like this? Well, that's a good question. And do you know what the answer is? I don't know, okay? <laughs> we don't know. Why does God choose to intervene sometimes in certain situations? And why does God choose to allow the bad thing to happen? Well, I don't know. But do you know who does know? God. And do you know who is good? God. Do you know who we can trust? God. So I'm not going to worry about those questions. I'm not going to worry about those questions. I'm just going to do what God has called me to do and what I'm responsible to him to do. So what happens? And he drove them from the tribunal. Gallio did. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So now this weird thing happens. Sosthenes? Where did this guy come from? Okay. Well, apparently Sosthenes took over after Crispus. So Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue, became a Christian. Okay. Here's a good way to lose your job. Okay. So basically now Sosthenes is in charge of the synagogue. So these Jews that brought Paul in front of them, in front of the tribunal, were probably so frustrated that they went back to the ruler of the synagogue and they were like, you put us up to this. You did. So they beat this guy up. It just shows, right? It just shows where their hearts are, doesn't it? It just shows the deception of their heart. They're so frustrated. It shows their character. They're so frustrated. You know, we deal with people all the time, right? Every single day. 
And you know when people like fly off the handle at the littlest thing, right? Maybe, some of you moms out there, <laughs> maybe at the littlest thing, you fly off the handle, okay? Well, let me, let me ask you a question. Where's your heart, okay? What's going on that's making you fly off the handle in this situation? Dads too, right? What's going on? There's always something going on, right? I can tell you what was going on with these Jews, right? They were frustrated. They were not saved. They were not Christians. And they were frustrated. And they had the hole in their heart, right, that only God can fill through his son, Jesus Christ. So they're frustrated. So now what about Paul? What happens here? Well, we're going to go see next week, right? And what, what Paul actually does. But here's what I want to leave you with. When we're serving God, things will always happen that frustrate us. Things that will always happen that discourage us. When we're trying to do the right thing, things will always go south. They'll frustrate us. They'll discourage us. It won't go to plan. So what do we do? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to leave you with the scripture reading that was read this morning. But I really want you to really bathe your mind in it. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read this passage to you, and then we'll close the service. So close your eyes, bow your head, and just listen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.